0: If you turn to Acts 27, we're going to pick up in verse 13, really, tonight. Um, But it's in light, really, of of what we've already seen, ending in verse 12. And there's really four parts to this story, but three that you can kind of focus in on. And last time we saw the beginning of this perilous journey, journey, tonight we see a storm. And as we look at our own lives... There's probably no one in here that hasn't gone through some kind of a storm in their life. And it's in the midst of those storms, as I said this morning, if you were with us, that really we find the greatest work gets done in our lives. Because storms are a place of faith for us. Storms are, are where the Lord meets us in a way that uh, we frankly miss him in the day-to-day things that are going relatively well, the mundane things that really don't have any specific challenges for us. But we see the Savior like nowhere else in the midst of the storms of our lives. And so as we pick up in verse 13, as Paul sails for Rome, the second part, we find him in the midst of this incredible storm as the Apostle... And this crew of more than 240 people are about to encounter something that they can do nothing about. It's an impossibility from man's perspective, but it's an opportunity from God's perspective. And so would you join me and let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. Again, we get to be able to have a place like this to even gather to study your word is an amazement. We thank you for all the things that are going on right now behind the scenes, from the soundboard to the PowerPoint, the projectors, the children's ministry, the youth that are meeting, the cafe, Father, those in security and greeters. Throughout this facility, Lord, we often forget that there's so much that goes on, much like this ship. Our Lord, there were people keeping the water out of the belly of the ship there were people tending the sails and tonight we have people doing that on our behalf so that this great ship can sail would you bless them bless us as we study your word cause it to to ring true in our hearts and minds that we might be able to do something with the truth that we'll hear and we ask these things in jesus name amen in verse 13, we'll pick up here in Acts 27, and when the south wind blew softly, and I, I kind of love the way this starts out because remember the Apostle Paul has given word that he does not think it's a wise idea that they sail out into, into the storm that he believes is going to come. And so as is often the case in our lives Things start out slowly. It looks like, well, maybe I missed a word from the Lord. And then the reality of what God has spoken uh, comes to pass. And while this crew is going to live to tell the tale, so to speak, no one knows the actual outcome, save the Apostle Paul. And the only reason he knows that is because he trusts in the true and the living God that's spoken a sure word to him, and he's going to rest in that. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, so you can tell that immediately the captain, the crew, the centurions are all saying, well, see, Paul, there's really no big deal here, and I don't know what you're worried about, know, we got some good weather, it's going to be okay. But putting out to sea, they sailed close to Crete, but non, not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called the Euroclidon. Now, Euroclidon is, is a, an actual uh, Greek word from which we, we get our word hurricane or cyclone. It's a cyclonic storm. They, they blow at this time of the year. They're now uh, heading into the late fall and into the winter. Uh, So the cold air mass is gathered over the Alps, which are to the north, even the Dolomites to the northern end of Italy, um, even down into the mountains in what we would call today Slovenia. And so there's a cold air mass there. The the warm uh, Mediterranean has been heated by the summer sun all summer long. And so you have this clash of very cold air and, and very warm air. Uh, we call them Santa Anas here in Southern California because you have the, the air mass that's over the high Sierras and over our local mountains, very cold, pressurized from being high, and it just begins by weight of gravity alone to roar down the slopes of the mountain. They're going to be in the teeth of this incredible storm. And so this tempestuous headwind. Now, whenever you're sailing... A little bit of sailing information for you. The last thing in the world that you want when you're facing a long journey is a strong headwind. Uh, a tailwind, you can throw out your spinnaker, which is that big billowy sail that's multicolored that you see on the sailboats out in Santa Monica Bay. Uh, you, you can then loft your jib to one side, your mainsail to the other. And a tailwind's a great thing but a headwind is about as awful as you can imagine. Now, imagine that that headwind, in in this sense, may be a hurricane force wind, which means it's blowing someplace over 100 miles an hour, right in your face. And so you have to kind of get the picture of this. Now, as is normal, winds also drive ocean water. It's the reason that Uh, Whenever we have a hurricane, one of the things that they're worried about is not so much just the wind, but the storm surge, which is the water being driven in front of the wind. And so you have the wind, you have the waves, and you have that wind blowing from the one direction that you never want to see it coming from, which is directly the way that you want to go. And so it is a desperate situation. So when the ship was caught, and it could not head into the wind we let her drive. And and what that simply means is in sailing terms, they realize there's no way to go against it. We're going to have to go with it. And so the wind begins to literally drive the ship the only direction the ship can go, which in this case is south towards Africa. Africa at this point in time is over 400 miles away. It's the other side of the Mediterranean. And so The last-ditch effort is there's nothing we can do about it. We're going to have to go whichever way the wind blows us, which is going to put them off course not by just miles, but months. If they survive the journey across the open Mediterranean, they're going to be on the coast of Africa. It's going to be a long time before they ever get back to where they want to go. And so the storm itself... Be- become something that they can look at and they can say, There's just no way in the world this is going to work out to any good end. Between where they are and where they want to go are some of the most treacherous waters in the Adriatic. Uh, they 've come out of the Aegean Sea, which is next to Greece and Turkey they 're now in the open Adriatic, which is the next piece of water, which is the coast of Macedonia on the west side and and Italy on the other and, and they 're about to be in the the widest part of the Mediterranean Sea, the deepest part of the Mediterranean Sea, so the waves are beginning to roll. And they're completely thwarted by everything that's in front of them. Now, in our modern day and time, if we're on a large ship, this type of weather may not be that big of a deal. But they don't have any type of way to to move in this. This is not a, a galley to where there's all kinds of oars hanging out the sides like you've probably seen in a movie. This is a sailing vessel, and it's only used for hauling cargo. So, it's at the mercy of this storm. Life is going to get messy for them. It's going to get complicated for them. There's going to be very few uh, paths that they can take. In fact, there's really going to be boiled down to one. And the point here is this. Oftentimes in your life, you're going to find God, through circumstance, whittling down all of your choices removing everything that you could possibly hope and trust in. He's going to take out your ability to sail into the wind. He's going to remove the path that you want to travel and replace it with one that you don't. He's going to set in front of you something that can destroy you in an instant. And he's going to force you, in essence, into a place that you don't want to be because he wants to do something in your life. That is the case with this ship. Paul's on it. Paul was made a promise in chapter 23 that he was going to make it to Rome. But God didn't tell him how he was going to make it to Rome. And God didn't tell him when he was going to make it to Rome. He only said, you're going to make it to Rome. And so, through all of that, Paul now is being forced to look at this through the lens of God's view. And not his own. And whenever we do that, we are tempted to sometimes not believe that God has our very best in mind. And probably many of you have been through things in life that you look back and initially you weren't quite sure whether God actually was going to keep that promise or not. Whether God was going to make good on his love and his care for us. God leaves us needing faith. Remember that Hebrews plainly declares there in chapter 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God will constantly put you back into places where you must exercise your faith. The very thing that we were talking about this morning. And so again, to turn our attention to this map, because it's helpful for us, you can probably see no matter where you are, that large yellow dot they are now in the very heart of the Mediterranean Sea. If they were slightly behind uh, where they are now, they're, they're going to pass off the coast of Crete. Uh, they're going to go by this little tiny island of Clouda, and, and once they get out into the open ocean, the next thing coming up to, as far as they're concerned is Africa. And it's a long ways away. This time of year, it's difficult. This time of year, it's mid-November and to roughly mid-March. The favorable winds are gone. And, and as I said last time, there are going to be times in your life where the favorable winds are going to be gone. That opportunity that you thought was going to come up is going to be over. And you're, you're going to be in the place that you didn't want to be, facing the decisions you didn't want to make. And you're not going to have the resources that you think you should have to be able to weather that storm. That is the case with the apostle Paul and the entire crew. As far as they're concerned, this is absolutely hopeless because this is absolutely one horrible storm. Uh, they've already traveled uh, by the time this story, this part of it finishes, uh, there is four hundred and about sixty miles between when they left the island of Crete and when they would reach the island of Malta. And so put that in your heads. It's the same basic distance if we took off from the, the San Diego area and drove up to Sacramento. You're talking about 500 miles. It's a long ways. And once you get out there, it's not like they can you know, grab their ship to shore radio and call the Coast Guard. You know, they're, they they weren't going to be able to make contact with any other ships because nobody was going to be out in the sea at that point in time. So they're alone with God. And they're in the midst of a typhoon. They're in the midst of a hurricane. They're in the midst of these uh, catabolic or very strong winds that are generated by the the cold air mass over the mountains. Ancient ships at that time in order to tack, which is to turn, in essence, to the side of the wind to get the best advantage of the wind in their sails to drive the ship the direction they want to go, would normally use the skiff that they're carrying. And so in this case, as we pick up in verse 16, um, we're going to see that they're using every advantage they can. They're, they're going to travel under under the the lee side and when you use those terms just so you can get it in your mind the lee side is the side away from where the winds are blowing from so it's always the opposite side of the island Uh, that's also usually the dry side of the island because on the far side the clouds would hit they'd release their rain and so it's dry and it's sheltered a little bit so they get a little bit of break as they pass by the island of crete and then they get a little more break as they get into the shelter of the island of Clouda, In verse 16 it says, And running under the shelter of the island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. It's already starting to get windy. Um, One of the reasons that ships make for port is because inside of the port the land mass breaks up those winds, causes them to be less severe. And so they've taken that advantage as well. And they're now trying to secure this skiff. And what would happen in that type of boat, that was a boat that could be rowed with oars. And the reason that was important, they would put this very large, uh, what we would call you know, nothing but a a kayak for all intents and purposes that could fit 20 people uh, with a whole bunch of oars in it. They would then be able to row the boat that they were in the water in that little skiff and they could tie a rope to the front end or the bow of the boat and they could pull it around the direction, then set the sails and then pull the skiff back on board. But in this case, they said, it's even hopeless to do that. There is nothing we can do. The sea is too rough. And so they're picking up this basically capsized boat. Now, how many of you have ever been canoeing and or kayaking? How many of you flipped a canoe or a kayak and filled it with water and then tried to turn it right side up? It is not easy. Now, imagine that boat is 40 or 50 feet long and it's filled with water. It's going to be a tough task. And all they're thinking about is, we need to get this thing on board because we're going to lose it if we don't. They're in a desperate, desperate situation. It's a horrible storm. They go on. And af- after they had taken it on board, or when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And now, if, you, if you've ever looked at a bow, as in bow and arrows, you'll notice that when the bow string is not stretched... Uh, that bow is actually fairly flexible, but as soon as you put the bowstring on it, it becomes considerably more rigid, and all of a sudden, now it will pro- provide that force necessary to launch an arrow. The same principle is in effect here. They're going to take ropes, they're going to throw them off of one side of the of the ship, they are going to fetch them from the other side of the ship with a very long gaff hook. They'll grab hold of that, pull it back up. They're going to pull it back over the top of the ship. And they're going to then tie knots to pull the sides of the ship together to provide tension because the ship is actually coming apart. The waves are so strong slamming into the side of the ship that they're worried about the whole thing's just going to blow together. So they're trying to tighten it up to make it more rigid. And so they're doing everything that they could have done at that time uh, to to make the ship survive the difficult seas that they're in. And, by the way, this this is not some gigantic ship. This is a ship that's probably 200 to maybe 300 feet long. It's not like it's a big ocean liner. You know, they don't have propulsion systems to keep it stabilized in the high seas. There's no ballast in there to where they can level the ship out, whatever that ship's doing in those waves. These guys are completely green. They are looking at there one minute, looking at the water; next minute, looking at the sky. This thing's going back and forth and over, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Surtis sands. uh, In that, because of these very winds existent today, all kinds of wrecks on these very sands. Uh, There are shallow spots in the Mediterranean Sea because what happens is the winds actually drive the water. The water drives the sand on the bottom. The sand then hits something like a rock, begins to pile up, and if it does it long enough, it can actually create what are called shoals or shallow places within the sea, and it's nothing but a sandbank. Now they're afraid they're going to get stuck, and if they do that, they're dead. It's over. And so they pull the lifeboat on board. Uh, in essence, they're, they're now being driven towards the coast of Africa. Uh, imagine that canoe that can hold 20 people and you're trying to pull this thing back up and they're, they're banding the ship. They're, they're taking absolutely desperate measures. And if that weren't enough, because of all that's going on, the other thing that happens when you load a ship with grains, it begins to settle lower into the water. It displaces more water. Uh, so the, the gunwales, the sides of the ship, are are very close to the, the to the water itself. And so now the next thing they're going to do is try and lighten the ship so it rides higher out of the water so they can take more waves. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. In verse 18. The reason I'm sharing these details with you is this is exactly what you would get if you were to have been during that time sailing a vessel in tempest-tossed seas. These are the measures they would have taken, and they are pretty much the only measures they would have taken. So the record here is accurate from a sailing vessel and a voyage at that time in these types of seas. So the next day, they're just getting tossed back and forth. I don't know how many of you have ever sailed out into relatively uh, tempestuous waters, but it's an unpleasant thing. Uh, because there is no rest you're constantly up and down you are rocking side to side you're pitching and yawing you're all over the place and, and on the third day so bad were the conditions that they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands now to give you an idea how desperate this is the tackle they're talking about are all the necessary things that he might be able to use to actually sail the ship once this is over They have resigned to the fact that they're going to be blown to Africa. The only way they can survive this is by lightening the ship and making sure it stays afloat and let it be driven all the way across the Mediterranean. So they have given up. They've said, the only way we survive this is if this ship stays afloat. We don't care if we can sail it anymore because now they're throwing off... The, the yard arms, they're throwing away. If they had a spare mast, that's overboard. Extra rope, that's gone. Sails, it's all gone. They're tossing it in the sea. And on top of that, uh, they're, they're going to jettison their cargo. So on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And, and, and despite this, they're still being pounded by the waves. And this, these are people who realize they're going to die. They're taking the last measures available to them to stay alive. And verse 20, it says, And when neither the sun nor the stars appeared for many days, the storm continued raging. Now, they have undoubtedly cast everything overboard that can be tossed overboard. The only thing they've got left is some kind of meager rations, some fresh water. Some of that may actually be getting blown into the ship. Uh, but they're, they're, it's just getting worse by the minute. And finally, they gave up all hope of being saved. So now they've said, we're going to die. You talk about a bleak sense of doom. You know, sometimes when the enemy begins to work in your life, maybe you won't go through this exact scenario, but you can reach that place where there's a bleak sense of doom. I don't know what else I can do. I don't know what else I can say. There's nothing left to sell. I don't, there's no way I can get out of this situation. And then we have the incredible place that's going to come to this group uh, when God steps into the picture. In verse 20. And now when neither the sun or stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, it's still blowing, maybe not as hard. All hope that we had, were going to be saved was finally given up. But after a long abstinence from food, so they've been fasting or rationing, they, they, they haven't you know taken on any nutrition themselves. And then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, There's only two ways you can take this. Either the Apostle Paul wants to get a beat down, and he's kind of, you know, in their face a little bit, or he's really trusting God. And I think he was really trusting God. Men, you should have listened to me, and not sailed from Crete, and incurred this disaster and loss. Remember, he told him not to do it. We we don't find any inclination here that he doesn't still think he's going to get to Rome. He just says, look, I, I told you you shouldn't go. God had spoken to me. Let's not go there. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Now, I don't know how you know, how good you would feel about it when somebody tells you you're in the midst of the hurricane. Look, you're not going to die, but you're going to lose everything. But that was actually still pretty good news. Because I think the main thing they were worried about is they were going to die. I'm pretty sure by now they couldn't care less about the ship. They they had done about everything you could think of to make the ship just simply a lifeboat. And so... Now they haven't eaten, and Paul says to them, look, God said, and I trust him. And that's the message for us. But God, every storm, every hurricane in your life, everything that you go through where you cannot see how God's going to deliver you, you have no idea how it's going to turn out, And from all that you can see, it looks like you are going to die. Maybe figuratively, metaphorically, maybe actually. But the situation has gotten to the place where you have zero control over the outcome. Brothers and sisters, that is where you start looking for God. Because He's the only one that can deliver. And I think many times for us who name the name of the Lord, who walk with the Lord, uh, I think he takes some measure uh, of of joy in being that to us. Look, Jeff can't get out of this. There's nothing he can do to save himself. And when we cry out to him, he's right there. God was never absent in any part of this story. God had never abandoned Paul. God had never even abandoned his his captors, so to speak. And I want you to see something here. These men are all going to be saved because of, really, one man. Never underestimate a man or a woman of God doing what God's called them to do, because you have no idea how many are being rescued because of God's love for you. And sometimes I look at our country and wonder if that's not the, the real reason that we're still here. Because it's surely not all the dumb stuff that we do. But could it be that because there are still many of us who love the Lord and serve the Lord and care about the lost, that the benefit that extends to this country is because there still is some godliness in the land. There there there's still a few believers on the boat, so to speak. And the Lord's preserving us. Showing up in the nick of time. And when you think about this, Ephesians 2 there in in verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us. Don't forget, there's always a but God moment, even when it doesn't look like God's going to show up. Because God's not ever late. But he also is rarely early. And so whatever he's doing, he's doing for a purpose. He's got his divine plans in view. And so while we think he didn't show up when the storm started, he intended us to go through the storm the whole time because he's doing something that that he can do no other way in our lives. I've often wondered how many of these men that were on this ship actually came to faith in Christ simply because they watched the Apostle Paul stand up and say, I'm still trusting God. That's his, his wonderful graciousness that he pours out onto people constantly. God is good. He's rich in mercy. That simply means he's rich in not giving us what we've earned. Now this is a Roman galley, and I want you to think about this for a moment. It's an Alexandrian ship that's carrying grain to the Roman Empire. Probably not one of God's favorite groups of people. You know, you can kind of look at it, it's like, well, they kind of represented the enemy's camp a lot of times. But I want you to see God's goodness even towards people who have not yet met him. He's going to save them. How encouraging was it for the Apostle Paul to say, look, it's going to be okay. The ship's going down, but you're going to be fine. Never underestimate the power of encouragement, family. You you never know when those handful of words that you might speak into somebody's life in the hands of God are going to be the reason that they make it through that day. You don't know. You just speak what God's spoken to you. And let God take command over that situation. Maybe you'll be the one that's discouraged. You know, the, the church, as I've said before, is a lot like a hospital. And it's filled with all kinds of different people. There's doctors and nurses and lab technicians and people responsible for all kinds of different things in the operation of the hospital. And there are patients in there. But the odd thing is, every once in a while, the doctors become patients. You know, you never know when your time is going to come to where you might be the one doing the ministering instead of being ministered to. So when that opportunity comes, seize it. Say what God's asked you to say. Do what God's asked you to do. And then watch him act. Watch him meet that need. Take care of that thing that's going on. Verse 23, for there stood by me, and here's the source of Paul's ability to stand there with 247 people that at that point in time might be thinking, you know, if we'd have just tossed you overboard, we might not be going through this. And he says to them, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong. Now, always read carefully when you see the angel of God or the angel of the Lord, because this is not a Christophany, this is not Jesus appearing, this is actually an angel because of the way it's described an angel of the God to whom I belong. So it's not the Lord Jesus himself. It's literally an angel. And whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you and all those who sail with you these things. God said, look, I'm going to take care of this, so you don't need to worry about it. Relax, you're going to Rome. There's nothing that's going to prevent it. When God speaks into your life, no weapon fashioned against you can prosper. And all things will work together for the good to those who are the called according to his purposes. Period. No one can thwart that. Not a hurricane, not a world ruler. Not an army. And I'm not trying to be ridiculously bold here. I'm just simply saying, if God says, God says. And when God says, God does. It's his obligation, not mine or yours. And he is able. And because of him, we are more than conquerors. And nothing can separate us from the love of God, which we have in Christ Jesus. So if God said it, we believe it. We act on it. That's that place that I was talking about this morning. Look, a crisis does not make a person. A crisis shows what the person is already made of. Because you can't change your character in the middle of a crisis. What you really are is going to come out. If you really trust God, in the middle of a crisis, you're going to eventually get back to what you really are, which is someone who trusts God. But if you don't really trust God, the crisis will prove that you don't trust God. However imperfectly that may be implemented in each of our lives, the truth of the matter is, trials test the character of where we are with the Lord. They enable us to get a little glimpse of ourselves and see how we're doing. Faith that is tested, uh, when it's tested it comes out, tried, uh, and, and the Lord will prove the character of that faith. You'll actually get to see it. Paul standing on the truth that God had already spoken to him. And he says to him in verse 25, And therefore take heart, men, for I believe God, that it will be just as he has told me. However, <laughs> I love this part, <laughs> we must run aground on a certain island. He says, it's going to be okay, we're going to live, but we are going to be shipwrecked. Which is the next part of the next part of this, this story. You see, he trusts God. So I was sharing this morning, you know, the book of James is so beautiful in its practical application of this. And remember that the, the whole context, really, of all of chapter one and two, for the most part, is, is a picture of how our faith gets tested. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. You, you see, Paul's actually living that verse out. He's not only trusting God, he's trying to cheer other people up in the midst of the storm. He's saying, it's going to be okay. This is faith that's tested. And that's why by the time you get to the middle of chapter 2 there in the book of James, there in verse 18 and then and, and finally... Uh, the end of verse 18, it says this, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. In other words, I'm going to actually do something with my life that shows that I have faith. That's where we grow. It's exactly what I was talking about this morning. That is where we grow. When the storms come, that's where we grow. When the difficulties arise, that's where we grow. We grow very little when things are great. I do almost no growing when I'm sitting on a beach on vacation. I may do some resting, but I don't do a lot of growing. I may get a little extra worship time in. I may hear some things from the Lord, you know, I'm just doing the sunset for you and Connie, but I'm not really growing in a deep, measurable way. I'm just rejoicing that God is good. But there's a beautiful thing that happens after every storm. And having lived in the mountains for so long, I can tell you when you're in the midst of a three day blizzard, which we used to get fairly regularly in the mountains, it it rolls in and you don't see the sun for several days. And there's a below zero wind chill outside and your vehicles are coated with ice and you can't drive anywhere and if you were to go outside and trip and fall in your front yard and nobody finds you they're going to scrape you up in the spring after you've thawed you know you'll learn that that day that the storm blows through that's like hallelujah thank you jesus the storm's over You see, we don't know when the storm is going to be over a lot of times. We have to weather the storm and trust that God is on the other side of it. He's got a plan in it. And I want to spend a little bit of time tonight. And we're going to shift gears a little bit. How about you and your storms? This is Paul's storm. This is the people on the ship with him. How about you and your storm? I'll take a little journey with you if you want to turn to Mark 4. Pick up in verse 35. Mark 4, verse 35. We'll read down to 41. How do you handle the storms that come your way? And on the same day, verse 35 of Mark 4 says, when evening had come, and he said to them, now notice who this is. This is Jesus, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. There's a reason I'm pointing that out to you. The Lord Jesus actually puts in their heart the desire, the, the plan, to cross over to the other side at this very point in time. Jesus is God, and the next thing that's going to come to them is going to be a storm. In other words, not only did Jesus know the storm was coming, because he's God, he literally pushes them out into the storm, knowing the storm is coming. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And the other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose. Same exact word, by the way, as tempest. And it's the same storm pattern, except this one happens to be Mount Hermon, providing the catabolic winds to blow down from Mount Hermon across the Sea of Galilee. Lake Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias. Same situation, storm situation. They're going from the other side, which is the Jordanian side today, They're going back over towards Capernaum, and they're going through the teeth of the storm, having to sail north. It is the exact same situation. A tempest. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. They had just gotten in the boat. The boat's already swamped. When we travel to Israel, one of the places that we go to there at at North Gennesar is the Jesus Boat Museum. We get to watch a little video that Skip Heinzik did uh, about the about the boat. He I don't know how he got the part there, but he does really well. Uh, but but there's this little boat, it's 26 feet long, not very large, that was buried in the mud on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you look at that boat, and you look across the sea, and then you imagine. Six to eight foot wind waves out there, and you're going, Oh my goodness, they must have thought they were going to die. Very similar to Paul's situation, smaller boat. But he was in the stern, so he's in the back of the boat. Worse, asleep on a pillow. You see, when God looks at something, he's at rest. When you look at things like this, you're all worked up. But don't miss this little subtlety. God's not all worked up. Jesus isn't all worked up. He's not going, oh no, I can't believe I put them out in this storm. Man, did I make a mistake in Jeff's life. I pushed him out into the teeth of a tempest and now he's going to drown. No, the Lord Jesus is sleeping. sleeping. Because this storm is no big deal to him. But it's a place for the disciples to grow. And they awoke him and said to him, and I want you to notice, they don't go get the master until things are out of control. It's the kind of picture of how we work sometimes, isn't it? We wait until things are pretty far gone and then we go get Jesus. And they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now I think they probably said it something like, Do you not care we're perishing? I'm pretty sure there was some there was some whining. It's like, What in the world have you done? We're gonna die. We're gonna drown. Peter can't swim. We don't even have any life jackets. And then he arose. And rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? All the stuff that God had done in their lives... They, they had watched the Lord Jesus time after time, do miracle after miracle, and he put them into the storm, and do they really think that he actually sent them out there to die? It's a word for us, folks. And it's a word for me. Do we really think the Lord brought us this far to kill us? To destroy us? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be uh, is the one who created the wind and the sea and the mountains the wind blew from and them and the boat, the wood that it's made out of. And sometimes we forget, we just see the storm. And I'm guilty, so I'm not preaching at you, I'm talking with you. Sometimes I just see the storm. I think every person who's honest, irregardless of their position in the church, sometimes just looks at the storm. And they don't look at the one who has the storm fully under control 100% of the time, so much so that while it's blowing in your life, Jesus is sleeping metaphorically, of course, because he never sleeps nor slumbers. But he's resting. He's he's taking a nap. He's like, this is going to be okay. It's going to work out fine. Let's face it, storms are going to come. And there's some lessons in this storm and some things you and I can remember, whether it's Paul's storm or the disciples' storm or whether it's your storm that you're going through right now. There's some lessons we can learn. We can't give up. When your life seems like it's being flipped upside down, maybe you lose your job. Perhaps it's a serious accident, some kind of financial situation. Maybe it's in your marriage, perhaps a literal windstorm just like this. Maybe we finally get a real tornado here in Southern California and it tears our house apart. Maybe we have an earthquake. You know, you will listen to the prognosticators. We're all going to have oceanfront property pretty soon. <laughs> Might happen. Who knows? Who am I to tell the U.S. Geological Survey that they're wrong? I, you know, we used to live right above the San Andreas Fault. We were kind of, we used to kind of think, you know, up in the mountains. At least when it happened, we could, you know, we'd be on a bluff overlooking the, the new ocean. But we don't know. We just don't know. But you got some choices to make when the storms do come. Because we don't know when they're going to come, but we absolutely know they're going to come, because Jesus said so. John 16 is very clear there in verse 33. You will have tribulation. Not you might, you will. Storm's going to blow into your life. It may seem for some of you like it's always stormy in your life. And I'm surely not diminishing those stormy lives because it seems like to me that some people get a disproportionate number of storms that blow through their life. But then again, I'm not God, so you must need the storms that you get and I need the ones that I get, and if you get ten and I get two, don't be bummed at me. In Jesus' name. Because next week I may get the 10 and you might get the 2. But we need to not give up. See, that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to believe you don't matter. The enemy wants you to believe that God's going to let you go down. The enemy tries to tell you you just need to give up, you need to quit. I've had some of those things like Lord why would you make me a pastor I thought that you can't give up that's what the enemy wants you got to fight on you got to trust God next thing you have to do is you got to stay focused because there are things that you do need to do need to pray need to be in the word you need to take every advantage that you can do something about. Make sure you're doing what you can do. Too many people end up sitting around waiting for the disaster to get worse instead of doing what they can do in the midst of the storm. Focus on things that are important. Remember who you are in Christ. Think back on the promises of God. Those are things we can do in the midst of the very worst hurricane in your life or mine. Satan wants us to get, wants to get us focused on the wind and the waves. And God's saying, why don't you just focus on what I actually am doing right now, not what you can't see. Amazing how when you think about your kids or you think about your spouse, or you, you think about the things that you do still have some measure of ability to do something about. All of a sudden there, there's still some meaning to it all stay focused third thing we got we got to remember who Jesus is remember Jesus in the midst of the storm sleeping there in the back of the boat with the disciples is the king of kings and the lord of lords the creator of heaven and earth the alpha and the omega the great i am gotta remember Jesus not how bad the storm is. We need to remember Jesus. A second thing: storms don't last forever. Oh, hallelujah! Praise God. Amen. I, I we learned that in the mountains so well. You know the storm would be raging. You know the berms getting higher, and we used to have these crazy snowplow drivers. I absolutely believe with all my heart they took great delight in waiting for you to shovel your driveway clear and then they'd come with a loader and fill it back in. It's like you could see the little smirks in their faces. I just took me four hours of clear, and you just put it all back in my driveway. And you go back in the house and you can't even bend over because your back hurts so bad. It just keeps snowing and snowing and snowing. See, for people who don't live there, you look at the snow and go, Oh, that's pretty. <laughs> It'd be like somebody going down to the beach and grabbing a few truckloads of sand and dumping it in your front yard, and you go, Oh, that's pretty. It's not so pretty when you have to shovel it out of your yard. You, you see, and, it, and it just after a while, you're like, God, could I just freeze to death? It'd be easier. But praise God, storms don't last forever. Amen? The sun comes out. And I'm not talking about the S-U-N, I'm talking about the S-O-N. The sun comes out. Jesus shows up. Calms the wind, he calms the waves. And that blue sky, the skies are never bluer than after a storm. They're never bluer than after a storm. The sunsets are never more beautiful than after a storm. A little bit of clouds. Those beautiful sunsets that we get here in Southern California when the storms blow through. There's just a little bit of clouds out over the water. That's the Lord saying, you know what, I, I got this. They don't last forever. Sometimes we think they do. Very often we think they've lasted too long, but they don't last forever. And then finally, a third thing out of Paul's storm, the disciples' storm, your storm, my storms. After it's all said and done, there's one thing that always remains, and that's the Lord Jesus. He's always faithful. He is never faithless. He cannot deny himself. He's always faithful. He he was there before the storm. He's going to be there after the storm. And he's going to be there after the next storm. And he'll be with you in the middle of that one too. He may not be doing the things that you want him to do because he knows better than you do. He knows better than I do. He may be there in the What we don't see, things that are going on. And the whole time he's saying, I'm still here. Don't forget to remember that Jesus is there in the good times too. You know, sometimes we almost resign the the relationship we have with the Lord. We only call him when we need him. Why don't you call him the next time that you look into your kid's eyes. Thank him. Thank him. Next time you open your cupboards and there's food in there. Thank him. Say thank you Lord for always being there. Next time you get in your car. And you don't have to walk. Pastor Pat and I were talking. Think about it. In the last hundred years. The last hundred years, we went from most people either in horse and buggy or maybe a steam train to landing men on the moon. Thank the Lord. You know, I don't think any of us went home this afternoon and churned butter. As much as I like butter, that's a big deal. Don't forget to thank Him in the good times. That helps you when you come into a storm. You go, look, God was, he's always been good. I have no reason to distrust him now in the middle of this storm. You see, I think if we thank him more when things are good. Don't just ignore him and act like he owes us. But thank him. When things are bad, you're more than likely going to go to the Lord. But don't forget that he's there when things are good, too. Probably many of you have read, may even have on your wall someplace in your house or in a box somewhere, a poem, Footprints, by Mary Stevenson. And a lot of people focus in on the end of it. And maybe some of you haven't heard it, so I'll read it to you. But it's fairly short, and we'll, we'll close. I'm going to bring the worship team back up. But the poem goes like this. One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord and many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. Each scene I noticed footprints in the sand and sometimes there were two sets of footprints and other times there were one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life when I was suffering from anguish and sorrow and defeat I could only see one set of footprints. And so I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you'd walk with me always. And I've noticed that during the most trying times of my life, there's only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why, when I needed you most, would you have not been there for me? And the Lord replied, at the times when you've seen only one set of footprints, was when I was carrying you. People focus in on that last part, and I do love it. But the truth of the matter is, all the time, there are really two sets of footprints, even when the Lord's carrying you. He's always there. He's carrying us even when we think we're carrying ourselves. And so don't let the storms knock you out of the game. Don't let the storms keep you from loving God. Don't let the storms be a source where where the enemy can get into your life and make you believe maybe for a moment that God doesn't love you because he's either carrying you or he's walking hand in hand with you, but he is there. And he'll always be there. And don't let anybody tell you different. Because he's promised that. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, says the Lord. Every storm, every wonderful vacation, every day at work, every problem you ever face, every joy you ever experience, he is with you. Good, bad, or indifferent. And so when the storms come, rest. And let God work in the midst of that storm. Amen? Would you stand? And I'm going to have a couple of the pastors come forward. And maybe you've got a storm in your life. Maybe something and you just don't see how God's going to work this one out. But I'm here to tell you that God not only is working it out right now, he actually has a plan to use it for good because his word declares that if you're here tonight you love the Lord every storm God has at the end of it a plan for good he even has a plan for good in the midst of it really because his end goal is, is your good ultimately as a believer if you don't know the Lord maybe you're going through a storm if you want that kind of peace there's only one way to have it and that's the Prince of Peace that's the only way you can get it I wish I could offer you some kind of other way, just simply because it'd be easy, but you can't. It's going to cost you your life. You're going to have to give your life up in exchange for the new life that you'll have in Christ. Pastors come forward, they'd love to pray with you. Well, Let's worship, and then we're going to close in prayer. In the meantime, the pastors will come forward. If you need prayer, just simply come forward. We want to pray with you and pray for you. The rest of you, start thinking about some of those things you can thank God for. Because we have a lot to be thankful for, whether we see it or not. The fact that we could even be here tonight, you can start there. The fact that you have breath, you can start there. You have blood coursing through your veins, you can start there. It's a lot to be thankful for. Amen? Let's worship in.